listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Well, you heard the man with the golden pipes. Yes, it's that time of week. And you know what time it is. Game time. Welcome to the party, pal. And welcome back to another award-winning edition of Straight Out of Vegas, the weekend version. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. So go to geico.com for a free rate quote. In a world of questions, we've got answers. In a world of problems, we've got solutions. Tonight, we continue our coverage of the NBA Hotel California League. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. What have we learned? Where do we go from here? That's coming up. We'll also continue our college football odyssey as the never-ending story unfolds daily. Believe it or not, there are still 76 teams that plan to play football, and that will result in a total of 311 scheduled games, at least for now. Stay tuned. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we've got a very interesting guest who is a prominent author and a historian, and we're going to chop up the LeBron versus Jordan saga as well as debunking a myth that has surrounded Michael Jordan for 25 years. And after Brian Finley's epic update at the bottom of the hour, we'll continue with our NFL quick hitters. Can you believe it? The Chiefs and Texans kick things off just two weeks from next Thursday. And, of course, we wrap things up with Mackinac Sports and more tidbits to help you navigate the bubble. Sports are entertainment, but they're more than that. They're a shared experience. As such, people want to talk about them. You've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about. This is Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. And as they say in Bill Musselman, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. All right, now that we're knee-deep into the NBA bubble and opinions are running rampant about who the contenders are and the pretenders are and who will win the championship and, you know, whether or not the referendum on LeBron's legacy will include another ring or another rationalization from LeBron, you know, explaining through a tweet why fate intervened, I got to thinking about two things. First of all, since we all use the term bubble about 37 times a day, what exactly is the definition of a bubble? Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, a bubble is defined as a nearly spherical body of gas containing a liquid. Okay, so there's that. But given the range of opinions on handicapping and predicting this year's champion, I thought it would be interesting to look for common denominators from prior champions going back 25 years to see which teams in this year's bubble might fit those characteristics and which ones do not. Therefore, handicapping who the pretenders are and who the contenders are. You know, things like offensive and defensive metrics, regular season win totals, margin of victory, things like that. And much like musical chairs, when the music stops, the stats start to tell the story, who's for real and who is not. See, I'm sure you already know that only 12 franchises have won the last 40 NBA titles. But what do those champions have in common? Do they provide a statistical biography that we can use to learn about this year's playoffs? So after distinguishing a grouping of common statistical characteristics last year, now this is last year, same type of thing, the Bucs, Warriors, and Raptors came out as the most likely champions, with the Trailblazers being identified as the sleeper contender. As it turned out, the, rappers, the Raptors took out the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals and then, of course, defeated the injury-plagued Warriors for the championship. And the Blazers actually made a surprise run to the uh, West Finals last year. 
So when we're looking for statistical similarities among championship teams to help us evaluate this year's postseason field, we'll go back to 2005. Why? Well, because the NBA's current 30-team, six-division scheduling format, it's been in place since 2005. So the league has already adopted rules that you know has very much prioritized offense. They've eliminated hand-checking and illegal defenses and it's recent enough to account for the modern importance of three-point shooting. So let's start with season win total. The last 15 champions have amassed at least 52 wins in 82 games and a top five overall record during the regular season. Now that's equivalent to about a 635 winning percentage because remember this year, teams didn't play 82 games. And, you know, even the 52 wins might be a bit conservative because the uh, the only outlier here really was this 2006 Heat. They were on a 55-win pace after Pat Riley took over when Stan Van Gundy got fired in a 58-win pace when Shaq returned to the lineup after missing the first 20 games of the season. By the way, the last seven champions finished with top three records. That's the key. So who, 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 now who fits that bill this year? based on an equivalent win percentage, where you got the Bucks, the Raptors, the Lakers, Clippers, and Celtics. Okay, so let's let the musical chairs begin. Who doesn't measure up? Teams like the, Rock, uh, the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Thunder, the Heat. You get the picture. I'm not going to name them all. Next, let's look at the offense. We find that NBA offenses have shifted to the three-point shot, as you all know. And so the last eight champions... Well, they finished in the top nine in three-point shooting. So who fits that bill? Here we go. Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Heat, Jazz, Mavericks, Trailblazers. List is a little longer. But what about defense? Because every champion in this study that I've done is finished in the top 11 on the defensive end with at least a top 13 mark in opponents' effective field goal percentage. Also note that 12 of the last 13 champions finished in the top eight in limiting opponents' effective field goal percentage. So who fits the bill? Bucks, Raptors, Lakers, Clippers, Celtics, Pacers, Thunder, 76ers, even the, even the Brooklyn Nets. Okay, all right. Let's not be silly. Next comes star talent. I think this is important because all 15 NBA champions featured at least one all-NBA selection. Nine of the 15 had multiple players on the year enlist, and 13 of the 15 last champions boasted at least one all-defensive team selection. Who fits the bill? Too many to mention. A bunch of them. Bucks, Raptors, Lakers, Clippers, blah, blah, blah. All right down the road. Even the Mavericks, okay? I can't, I can't buy the Mavericks. Come on. Now, point differential is one other stat here that's very important because an NBA champion needs to boast a top-eight scoring differential and a top-eight net rating per 100 possessions according to to the last 15 years and what those champions featured. Who fits that bill? Bucks, Raptors, Lakers, Clippers, Celtics, Mavericks. Now, see, again, once again, I really can't take the Mavericks seriously here because their defense stinks. They just simply outscore teams. They do have a prolific offense, in fact, but they're giving up 126 points per game in the bubble, so they're a fagazi in my view. In the end, if you stack it all up, the only playoff team with a single championship indicator is the host Orlando Magic. But it's worth noting that the only box Houston checked was star talent because James Harden, the guy's phenomenal, man. I mean, come on. 
he, it's, he's the only thing that guarantees that the Rockets uh, enter the postseason with a better championship profile than the Magic. So there's that. And, of course, what do the Magic do? They beat the Bucks outright in game one as a 14-point underdog. So when you add it all up, the real question will be, how much does this really translate since there's no home court advantage and no need to get on airplanes and no real way to ascertain to, you know, which teams are going to be mentally tough enough to hang in the, quote, bubble while keeping their sanity and flipping the proverbial switch on the dance floor. At the end of the show, Mackinac Sports, I'm going to give my two teams that I believe will be in the NBA Finals. And I'll give you my rationale. And I think that after I make my case, you might nod your head and agree. But make no mistake, in the end, the biggest storyline for the bubble host Hotel California League NBA COVID-19 2020 championship season will be a referendum on LeBron James' legacy. You see, the Lakers, they're a franchise defined by their eras. They've had the Will Chamberlain era, the West Baylor era, the Magic Kareem era, the Kobe era, the Shaq era. And now comes the LeBron era, replete with the kabuki dance orchestrated by the king himself. He's the one that asked to carry this torch in the most self-serving way. Now, history is going to be written one way or another. LeBron will either win a championship or he won't. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right, we got to talk some college football real quickly. Even though Justin Fields, God bless him, managed to get 400,000 signatures on his petition, and the good folks of Nebraska and Iowa are protesting and might even file a lawsuit, my moles tell me the Big Ten decision to not play football is final. Absent some sort of compelling or contradictory medical evidence that says otherwise, that ship has sailed. Meanwhile, here we come. Paul Feinbaum and Nick Saban, will they both wait in this week? on the decision by the Big Ten. Quote, Feinbaum, you know, if Paul Feinbaum can get over the shyness, he's going to be all right. He, he made no bones. He said, this is a public relations nightmare for the Big Ten, and they did it to themselves. Quote, they announced the schedule and came right back and canceled. And the biggest problem the Big Ten has is they didn't explain their reasoning. Now, Kevin Warren has done one interview, one television interview, with the Big Ten Network, and quite frankly, it was embarrassing. Well, where did Paul Feinbaum lie there? Okay, give the man credit. He, he tells it like it is. Meanwhile, Alabama football coach Nick Saban, the irrepressible Nick Saban, I go off with him in a scramble once. Someday i got to tell that story many years ago when he was at Michigan State. He says he, quote, hates it for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that their fall seasons have been postponed, and he fears that a spring campaign could turn into a JV season. Quote, Saban said, I actually hate it for the players who won't get the opportunity to play and compete and create value for themselves because I think one of the real consequences of this is if you're a junior or senior and you've got an NFL grade, are you really going to play in the spring? Or is that going to become some sort of a JV season with a lot of these juniors and seniors opting out and not playing their senior year, which is sort of something that they'll probably miss for a long time. By the way, the SEC released their entire 2020 football schedule Monday with number 3 Alabama set to open the season at Missouri, September 26th. But no lines posted yet in Las Vegas. Finally, as they make it up as they go along, and I'm talking about the Big Ten, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel this week said, don't look now, but the Big Ten officials are working on a revised football schedule that could feature teams starting their season in early January. 
Okay. They would conceivably play in January and February with games indoors. Of the possible venues for games used by the Big Ten, there would be home to NFL teams. That's the Indianapolis Colts, Minneapolis, where the Vikings play, Detroit, and possibly play in St. Louis and Syracuse. You get the picture. It's too cold to play football in January and February, so you'll play all these games indoors. Hey, that sounds like a real hoot. Will it happen? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you there, Bill Lumberg. I'm saying no. Stay tuned. We're going to stay on top of this, okay? Coming up, we're going to welcome in a gentleman, an author, and a historian. This is going to be fun. Sometimes we like to have you know get outside the box a little and enjoy our weekend. It doesn't always have to be drudgery, right? We're, he, this gentleman is going to debunk a myth that has plagued Michael Jordan for 25 years, and you're going to enjoy this conversation. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? You probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted. So don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! One of the best in the business, Bernie Fratto. We are back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto. Come to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. And I want to welcome in a gentleman at this time. He's an author and a historian. He has a forthcoming book coming out entitled Six Rings, the Chicago Bulls History. You can follow him on Twitter at ReadJack. Say hello to Jack Silverstein. Jack, thanks for staying up late tonight, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bernie. Appreciate it. Been looking forward to this. Uh, before we dive into the meat, uh, give me your take as a historian on the bubble and the LeBron legacy. Obviously, this is a unique situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately the people who get hit with asterisks are the ones who don't win again. So if the 99 Spurs, you know, hadn't gone on to be a dynasty, I think people would pay more attention to that. Same thing with the 2012 Heat. And you look at the NFL, um, I mean, Washington won two uh, Super Bowls in strike-shortened seasons, but they did two of them, and then they won the other one in 91. I think people are a little bit more forgiving if you end up doing something again and again. So considering that the Lakers have been a favorite, you've got LeBron. I think if they win it, people are going to respect it. I think if they lose it, people are going to go at them, but people are going to go at them if they lost and there was no coronavirus and no bubble. So uh, to me, I, I think that's a, a little bit of a misnomer. I, I, it's, I don't think historically that's going to be that big of a deal. I think people sort of find reasons to boost them up, and they find reasons to take them down, and I don't think the bubble is going to change things one way or another. I think that's an excellent perspective, uh, very, very objective all the way around. All right, let's jump ahead to the real subject matter here. Uh, and before we get to the theory that I really want you to debunk that I think you do an excellent job of doing, Larry Demery is a man whose name is in the news, and while he may not be a household name, he is infamous for a heinous act that he committed in the early 90s. Why don't you bring the audience up to date? Yeah, I would, I would say that he uh, allegedly committed, um, and he was convicted of having committed, but uh pretty mysterious even to this day. And what I'm talking about is the murder of James Jordan, Michael's father. 
Larry Demery was one of the two boys, they were 17, I believe, at the time, who were arrested and charged and ultimately convicted for that murder. And among the many weird wrinkles in that case, one is that Demery actually turned stage evidence and rolled on his partner or his friend, depending how you look at it, Daniel Green. And yet they were both charged the exact same. They both were given ultimately the same sentence. Demery actually, despite rolling on this friend of his and being the state's lone witness against Daniel Green, Demery actually was still looking at a possible death penalty, and the jury gave him life instead. I mean, these boys, one thing I can say for sure is had terrible, uh, terrible uh, uh, counsel and, and, and legal advice. Um, but as a result of that, and as a result of a, a, a number of other legal twists and turns, it's a, it's a strange case, um, Demery's up for parole, and it, right. it just came out that he was parole, or he will be paroled. Daniel Green is still fighting uh, for his release. He maintains his innocence in the murder, and uh, weird, weird case the more you read about it. Talking with historian Jack Silverstein, author of the upcoming book, Six Rings, The Chicago Bulls History. All right, let's get into the meat, because... The LeBron versus Jordan greatest of all time debate, GOAT debate, will never be settled. But one of the things that came out of The Last Dance, which we were all enamored with, it's now all over Netflix, is that there are rumors about why Jordan took a hiatus, quote, temporary retirement. And Jack, I think you debunked those rumors as well as anybody, and I'm on your side. Tell the tale. Yeah, so... The rumor or the conspiracy theory is that Michael Jordan actually was not someone who just happened to retire of his own volition in October of 1993, that in reality, the league suspended him for gambling. Uh, If you are listening right now and someone, your friend, your family member, someone online tries to tell you this, just start asking them basic questions. Gambling of what? What was, what was the suspension for, for gambling, quote-unquote? There are so many things that you can pick this apart. I think that one of the big reasons that people believe this is that they say, well, we couldn't see someone at the top of his game, at the top of his skill, et cetera, you know, 3 P MVPs, retiring. And that just shows that you just don't know Jordan's history. He's been talking publicly about retiring young as early as at least 1986. He was on David Letterman during the playoffs after the Bulls were eliminated, and he talked about wanting to retire in his early 30s to play uh, to join the PGA Tour. He talked about wanting to retire early in Sports Illustrated when he was Sportsman of the Year in 91. It's in the Jordan Rules, which came out in 92. It's in the books of Bob Green. It's, it was all over the place sort of an open secret. Magic Johnson was talking about it, uh, you know, telling the press, you're going to drive this guy away, you keep hammering him. So it wasn't really, you know, out of nowhere, even if, even if it was still a surprise. I mean, you didn't necessarily think it was going to happen. But Michael was always somebody who talked about wanting to control his fate. And while I do think that there was heat on him that summer, due to 
his gambling activities in Atlantic City. There were um, other instances. If you saw The Last Dance, you, you saw a lot of the background about the heat that was coming on him in 91, 92, 93. Right. You put those things together, plus then the death of his father, plus then the ag, you know, the, the deep trauma of having people publicly try to tie these two things together. So it wasn't just that his father was killed. It was that he was then being blamed in the press, nationally and locally in Chicago, for his father's death. And it was all those factors. He had already been talking, you know, in 93 about this is this might be my last year. So I think that he spent his summer uh, thinking about it. Then his father turned up murdered. Um, they didn't learn about that until August. So then he's going through his grieving, buries his father, making his first public appearances. You've got the league, though, investigating him to some degree. They're talking about, oh, we're going to have to try to bring him in, which is they were trying to do that. And I think he just decided, you know what, I'm going to control my fate here, and I'm going to retire. And for anyone listening who says, yeah, but he said in his press conference, if David Stern will have me back, I just want everyone to pause, take a deep breath. Do you think someone involved in a massive conspiracy, which is what this would be, would sit there in public and tip his hand that terribly? Is that really what we're, we're no. trying to say here? I no. mean, I could break this down a lot further, Bernie, as you know, but I, just, I would just want people to really stop and think and ask questions. Um, because it doesn't hold up. No. Wrapping it up with Jack Silverstein, author of Six Rings, Chicago Bulls History, a book that will be coming out. Jack, I've only got about 30 seconds left, but I'm glad you invoked David Stern because to imply that David Stern, that, that, that Jordan would retire at the behest of David Stern when he's the bell cow of the league, make no sense to me. I've only got about 30 seconds, but speak to that quickly. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely something that angered David Stern uh, at the time and over the years. Michael was driving the growth of the league. They didn't want to force him out. I also think, though, they didn't want to investigate him either. So when people say, oh, well, the league investigation closed two days after he retired, and that's proof, you know, that's not proof. I mean, that's a league if they were investigating Jordan and now he's retired – they suddenly have an opportunity to say, oh, okay, I'm going to back off of this and say it's all good. Now, I, we don't know exactly what went hap- what happened in the investigation because it was short and because they never talked to Michael and because, obviously, this year we lost David Stern. You know, We lost the, the federal judge uh, some years ago who was involved in that as the league uh, uh, you know, mediator. But we don't really know. But... Um, yeah, I, every every obvious thing that someone says, there's an even more obvious counter to it. Jack, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Bernie. That is Jack Silverstein, historian and author of the upcoming book, Six Rings, A Chicago Bulls History. Coming up, can you believe it, two weeks from Thursday, we've got NFL football, we've got Chiefs and Texans. I've got some quick hitters to get you ready as the NFL season is just around the corner. But first, let's go to the man whose skill set 
also includes the fact that he's an expert in hockey. In fact, he once told me he'd rather wear a cup than a helmet because someone else can always do the thinking for you. It's Brian Finley with the latest. Bernie, if I could only stand on the ice with skates and not hold on to the side, that would be a win in my book. The NBA's first round of playoffs lingering on from the bubble on Saturday. Anthony Davis, after brain farting in the first half, breaks through with 23 points in the second half, finishes with 29 as the Lakers mow down the Trailblazers 116-108. The Lakes show up two games to one. Damian Lillard dislocating his finger and still accounted for 34 points. The Thunder outwitting the Rockets 119-107 in overtime. Chris Paul produced 26 points. He also, as he's done many times before, hit an opponent in the groin area. And after the game, James Harden was asked about Paul's patented cheap shot move. Did you think it was intentional? I don't know what it was, but it should have been reviewed. I mean, especially somebody get hit in a you know private area. I mean, we ain't got nowhere to go, so it should have been reviewed. And I felt like it wasn't, and I don't know why not. Meantime, the Dallas Mavericks marking Luka Doncic as questionable for Sunday's Game 4 versus the Clippers. Doncic bunny hopping off the court in Game 3 with a sprained ankle. NHL postseason, the Dallas Stars scoring three goals in the first period to take over the Avalanche 5-3 in their first meeting of their second round series. In baseball, Cody Bellinger, a walk-off home run as L.A. holds off the Rockies 4-3. The Padres mutilate the Astros 13-2. The Pods hit a grand slam for a fifth time in six games. And finally, Jose Abreu, three home runs as the White Sox berate the Cubs 7-4. Back to our guy, the man who runs things, Bernie Fratto. Like watching Ted Williams hit, my man. All right, can you believe it? We've got NFL football here two weeks from Friday, uh, Thursday, Chiefs and Texans. And it, I know it feels weird. There's no preseason games. There's no buzz. It's like the Twilight Zone, but they're in camp, and they're slugging it out. Just ask Girl Thomas. So speaking of the schedule, uh, we have actually some idiosyncrasies to highlight this year. For the first time since 1991, two NFL teams will play each other in back-to-back games. In a weird, odd, unique move, the New York Jets will play the Dolphins in Miami in Week 10, and then both teams will have a bye week in Week 11, but once their bye week is concluded, the Dolphins head to New York to face the Jets in Week 12. That means starting the day after the Jets' Monday night game in Week 9, and that Tuesday is November 10th, until Week 13, both teams, they play, they will play each other again December 6th. The, the, the Jets and the Dolphins will have gone 25 days without playing anybody but each other. So they're, you've got that going for you. And speaking of other scheduling oddities, the San Francisco 49ers, they're going to play consecutive games in the same stadium away from home. In Week 2, the Niners will play the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium. Then in Week 3, they play the New York Giants at MetLife Stadium. Meanwhile, the New England Patriots, they have that same weird situation this season. They play at the L.A. Chargers December 6th at the new SoFi Stadium. Then the Patriots play four days later in a Thursday night game against the Rams at SoFi Stadium. But topping the weirdness of the NFL schedule list in 2020 is a rare Friday game, a Christmas game, when the Minnesota Vikings... They'll travel to play the New Orleans Saints in Week 16 on Friday, December 25th. 
Now, there have only been 10 NFL games in history played on a Friday in the last 50 years since the uh, 1970 AFL-NFL merger. The last NFL game played on a Friday was in 2009. In fact, since 1999, if you're scoring at home, and I hope you are, the last four Friday night games have flown over the total. So Vikings at Saints, Christmas. Yeah, I think there'd be some fireworks indoors on perfect conditions. Sounds like it could be an over to me. Non-divisional game. Stay tuned. All right. You know, my buddy Rob Parker likes to pick on Tom Brady, in case you didn't notice. I love Rob dearly, but if he keeps picking on Brady, I'm telling you he's going to go to hell on a scholarship. And here's one of the reasons why. Uh, because if you have any idea how you think Brady will do in Tampa Bay, and I think they'll do very well, after closely examining Tom Brady's achievements with New England, the thing that I think has impressed me most was his ability to step up in games against opponents that owned the better record. He went 39-13 and 13 straight up and 37-11 and 11 against the spread, including 20-2 and two straight up and 19-2 and two against the spread when the Pats were coming off a loss, as well as 9-2 and two against the spread straight up in the playoffs against foes with his per year record. That's the kind of stuff that goats are made of. Oh, by the way, Brady opens up tough divisional game week one at New Orleans. I think the game is about a pick em. I'm not sure. Have to double check. Speaking of another team that I think is going to be pretty good this year, uh, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be pretty good again. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to repeat, but they're entering the season with 20 of their 22 starters back from last year's Super Bowl championship team in 2020. And didn't they get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? And through it all... Their quarterback, the amazing generational Patrick Mahomes, this blows me away. He was 5-0 and last season in games when trailing by double digits. Think about that. He's also 6-0 and against the spread as a dog and 6-0 and straight up and against the spread in the first three games of the season in his NFL career. Safe to say, if you want to step in front of Patrick Mahomes, you better pack a lunch and you better have suicide hotline on speed dial. Again, Chiefs. Texans in 19 days. Now, I know that the Super Bowl champion typically doesn't come out of the gate great week one, but this might be a little different this year. And uh, I don't know, man. I think the Chiefs look really, really, really good to me. All right, we're going to get a lot more into NFL stuff and be a little bit more specific on certain angles uh, on what you might find edges week one. We'll have some divisional dog stuff coming up next week. But first, we've also got to get back to your favorite segment, and that is Mackinac Sports. You know them, you love them, you can't live without them. We're going to go into the bubble. We're going to talk about what we learned this first week, and we're both going to make some observations, and we're also going to pick our final participants. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted, so don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. The great Bernie Fratto, folks. All right, back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. And before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles, turning all the dials, keeping us glued together. Brian Finley, Chris Perfett, 
And Ryan Bershinger in tonight uh, for Eric Roberts. Uh, Eric taking a night off, very well-deserved rest. And uh, by the way, Ryan Bershinger, don't forget to catch him and Bo Benson with their new podcast, Swing Shift. It's the new sensation sweep in the nation. And my moles tell me it was voted the number one podcast by Tommy Waisu. So you want to check that podcast? That well, check the podcast out. Don't check out my uh, broken English there, Mackenzie. And no one ever accused me of being smart. Check around. All right, let's talk, let's go to the bubble and uh, the most marquee series, uh, the most talked about series, the most highly charged opinion series were the Lakers in Portland, and it started out with a bang. And I, you know, I question the Lakers' readiness heading into this tournament. I never really believed Portland could beat them. I did. I know you did, and I, and and I tell you what. After game one, um, you know, I will tell you that people raise their eyebrows. But think about it for just a second, and, I, and I'm going to turn it over to you. At, before game one, the Lakers were pathetic. They were averaging 104 points per game. That was last of all the teams in the bubble. The three point percentage, 28 percent last in the bubble. Their threes per game, a total of nine. In the bubble, and in Game One, in the last seven minutes of the fourth quarter, they were not only outscored nineteen to six, they were only three of fourteen from the floor and zero for six from three point land. However, they seem to have corrected things. If you would have told me last week when I predicted that the Blazers were going to pull the upset of the century, that the Lakers were going to score one hundred seven points per game, six less than their season average, they're going to shoot twenty nine percent from three. Five less than their season average. I'll be like, exactly. That's why I'm picking the Blazers. The Lakers' offense is going to struggle against a Blazers team that's got decent forwards against the paint. Well, the Lakers' offense has been bad. The Blazers' offense has been atrocious, scoring 99 points per game through three games, shooting 40%. And get this, Bernie, Damian Lillard's averaging nine assists per game. He's averaging almost four in this series. Just unable to do anything against this Lakers' defense. I got to commend him. It's been way better than I thought. Well, the Lakers' defense is good. But I will tell you what I think is problematic, uh, McKenzie, and they better clean this up because this will be the easiest series by far. And I still it wouldn't surprise me if Portland stole one more game before this thing is over. But when you look at the three-point shooting of Anthony Davis and LeBron, 25% and 23% respectively, they can get away with it now. Right. I don't think they're going to get away with it for the next eight weeks. I think they got to stop taking them. I don't think they should take four or five a game. That's not the differentiator that's going to make them the team that can beat, upset a team like the Clippers. And yes, at this point, it would be an upset according to the odds. I, I think they got to do their bread and butter. And let me just say this real quick for my boy out of Chicago, Perspectives Charter School, Anthony Davis. I've never seen a guy score 29 points per game, which he's doing in this series, 11 rebounds, two blocks, two steals, less than two turnovers per game, 50% shooting. And it's like he's terrible, according to every single person I hear. Skip Bayless today said, no drive, no intangibles, terrible player. He can show up a game or two, but come on, guys. This guy's the defensive player of the year, and he's putting 30 up a game on 50% shooting. What what do you want him to do? Well, and, what can he do? Yeah, I think the criticism of him is unwarranted. It's amazing. I don't get it. Well, you get it because he's never won anything. That's true. Okay, and he's he's one of those quote superstars that's never won anything. Hey, and hey. he's also a bit of a victim of his own success because people know what his capabilities are. Right. And he was pretty good in New Orleans. Right. You want to see it every night, and that's something when he only has three shots in the in the first half of this game. You're like, okay, you're a superstar. You're supposed to do more. I think Shaq's criticism in that area is pretty accurate. But let me just say this. He won a championship his only year at Kentucky. That's not easy to do. 
I, I wrote this essay when I was a senior in college at the time. Bill Russell went to two championships in San Francisco, won them both. Will Chamberlain went to a championship at Kansas, lost it. That defined the rest of their careers. Some guys are winners, some guys are losers. My money, well, not this year, is on Anthony Davis being a long-term winner in this league. Well, and Carmelo won in his only season at Syracuse. Ooh, yeah, that's kind of the well, that example. Well, 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee at White Castle. Come on, no one cares about that. All right, come but there's on. one other thing before we move on to give our finals predictions. The Lakers shooting 68% from the charity stripe. What's up for that? You know, come on. It, it's even worse in the fourth That's not quarter. good. Anthony Davis missed two more in the fourth quarter. They both missed two in the in the game they lost back-to-back. Back. I don't know. I don't know. Skip Bayless has a lot more to say about that than me. I think it's just kind of bad luck. They're not great free-throw shooters, that team. I trust my eyes, and they tell me a lot. Um, I have never believed that the Lakers would win a championship this year and in a minute. I'm going to get to who I think will come out of the West. But let's start with the East, all right? Alrighty. So... You know, I've entered the Fox Sports Radio with a lot of other folks uh, bracket, and my Eastern entrant is, wait for it, the Boston Celtics. Ooh, Even without underdog. Gordon Hayward. I'll tell you why. I think they are a classically constructed team in the modern era. You've got three guys, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker, who can all create their own shot from the perimeter. I love Marcus Smart. I love his physical attitude. I love the fact that he's a tenacious defender. I think Brad Stevens is the real deal. And when I look at that team and their physical attitude, again, I trust my eyes. They tell me a lot. This is a team that is going to be an extremely tough out. The Boston Celtics are my choice to reach the NBA Finals as the Eastern Conference entrant. And you can get them at about plus 400, and believe it or not, if I had one selection, you know, regardless of the odds, who's gonna, who has the best chance to make it out of the East? I would say the Boston Celtics. The Milwaukee Bucks had the best regular season net rating. They've been amazing against the spread, against the margin, anything you want. Quietly, Boston was number two. And remember, they had Kemba Walker in and out, Jason Tatum in and out, Gordon Hayward. And here's the thing about the Boston Celtics. When they've had one of their key playmakers out, such as Gordon Hayward will be, They've actually been better straight up and against the spread. We saw this with when, when Kemba Walker was down. I think it's an example of too many cooks in the kitchen. When Jason Tatum knows he's going to get a certain amount of ops, when Jalen Brown, that point guard and that small forward shooting guard combination, they all know exactly how much food is on their plate. I think they're going to eat, and I think they're going to do well. I like them to get out of the East. Well, and back in April when we were hoping there would be a bubble and one of the things they were considering is to whether or not have the same format. I said, no, I want the same format because Jason Tatum wants bragging rights to win the Eastern Conference title. Let's go to the West. No, it's not going to be the Lakers, not in my view. If you cancel out between the Lakers and Clippers, the two stars, LeBron and AD, Kawhi and Paul George, the Clippers got a much deeper roster. All of their guys can play quality minutes. They're going to run bodies at LeBron. All you're seeing from the Clippers right now, people are trashing them too. You've seen their lack of continuity and cohesiveness. They haven't gotten their players on the floor. Watch what happens when they get Randy Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell, and the rest of the crew on the floor. Watch what happens. Lakers and Clippers. Let's try that again in English. <laughs> Clippers and Celtics in the finals. People are acting like the Clippers have had a bad season. They've disappointed. It doesn't make any sense. They're 60% against the spread. They were 8-3 in their last 11 against the spread. People were like, oh, they're up and down in the bubble. Second best net rating in the bubble. Like, what does this team have to do? Like, they lost against the Mavericks, right? And everyone's saying, crying, oh, this team, they've won five out of six against the Mavericks. Do they have to literally win every game against every opponent for, before people believe yeah, whoever in Whoever said they were going to go undefeated. They do great 
every single game. I mean, not every single game, obviously, but if you just look at the aggregate results, they've done better than anybody with players coming in and out. They're almost there. Montrez Harrell looked much, much better in game three, even though he got in a little shenanigans, you know, controversially. But I think they're getting it all in the right time. I think Kawhi's the best player in the world. Michael Jordan, but a little bit slower. I like the Clippers. I'm with you. Clippers, Celtics, and we didn't even mention they're coached by some guy named Doc Rivers. I like him. I like Doc Rivers a lot. And let's not forget, remember last year, they beat the Golden State Warriors twice in Golden State before they all got hurt. I think this team has the toughness Absolutely. to finish the job. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Straight Out of Vegas. Thanks to Jack Silverstein. I'm Bernie Fratto. Next up, the man from Nashville who brings it. It's the Jason Martin Show. Straight out of Vegas!